What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Pre-Professional Podcast. I am your host, Zach Kraft, along with host Colton Watering. Today on the podcast, we have Brandon Schultz. Brandon is a personal trainer, breathing expert, and prescript educator that is based out of Canada. On this podcast, we talk about Brandon's background and his path into the fitness industry and his love for whiskey of all types. Most importantly, we spend most of our time talking about and learning about the base principles of breathing as well as the intricacies that come along with it. We appreciate you guys and all your support. Without further ado, Brandon Schultz. Yeah, I do it all, right? Like I've been, oh my God, you have whiskey. Is that whiskey? It is. It is. Oh my God. If you need, like to, we need to restart. If you need to go get some right now, yeah, feel free. And then we'll redo yeah. this whole intro. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go do that. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. So what are you drinking now? Um... It's Elijah Craig. It's a nice. toasted barrel. There it is. Yeah, really good. If I you haven't that. tried it, where are you guys at? I mean, you got a you got a, an American flag in the background. Oh, dude, America, Midwest baby. I mean, as Midwest yeah. as it gets. Indiana, born and bred. <laughs> bred. Indiana, eh? Yeah. Well, you're you're northern yeah, so. than I am, right, Zach? Yeah. I'm yeah. like northeast corner. I think to from me to Niagara Falls, it's six hours. Six hours, man. Eh? Yeah, well, that's like, the Canada, Canada in... side. Yeah, I think you were. So like, we're not too uh, far away. I am, but yeah, I'm in Alberta. Okay, so which is like it's like the Midwest of Canada, but okay. they call it Central. Nice. Yeah. What yeah. it like, obviously this is completely off topic, but what is like the whiskey, um, how do you, how do you acquire it? Like, so what is an allocated item for you guys versus us? Like is Eagle Rare a big thing for you guys? Yeah. Eagle Rare is a big thing for us. Cause it's, um, I mean, it's more rare. It's harder, okay. harder to find. Right. Okay. So people go nuts. They'll like, they'll search for it. They'll, they'll buy like one or two bottles at a time or more. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm drinking that right now because my cousin was in Georgia and he got it for like 35 bucks on an end cap in Georgia. So I just don't know if you guys can get it easier than we can, but I guess bourbon's Honestly, only made in the States. So it probably is hard for yeah, you guys to get it. Canada's Canada's a weird place for their, um, for their vices. We'll call it. Mm-hmm. So like alcohol, tobacco, cause I like cigars as well. Um, all of that stuff is like, they tax it pretty heavily. So price goes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't stop us from enjoying it, but yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's a little harder to get. Yeah. Which is so disappointing. I feel so bad for you guys because it's obviously such a great thing to enjoy. Yeah. Especially in Alberta, we have one, like all alcohol that comes into Alberta goes through one warehouse. So it's all shipped to one single warehouse and then it's distributed out to different liquor stores. Really? Yeah. It's weird. It is, it's really it is weird, weird. It's super controlled. I mean, you guys do things different there. That's for sure. What's your, uh, yeah, what's that's your the best way to put it? <laughs> oh man. I like, I like such a wide range. I usually stick to like the bourbons. Um, Smart man. the one I recommend to pretty much everyone is a Woodford reserved, um, double oaked. Nice. If you try double oaked, it's so good. They just don't go back to the regular Woodford afterwards. Yeah, honestly, it's good if you want to mix something, but like, man, that double oak is just too good. It just, I completely agree. Yeah. But now that we've gotten on this wonderful tangent, let's go back to, (laughs) let's talk about business. Yeah. So let's talk about Brandon, where, where you like, what the origin is, how you got into this uh, fitness space, this fitness industry and um, why you keep continuing to grow. Okay. So we're just going back to the beginning. Then. Oh, we're going back to the back to the basics. We're gonna throw this somewhere at the end, and then we're gonna get going with the meat and potatoes, the people that people things that people want to hear. So, I got my start in the industry. It's like a very it was a very random thing that happened. Like I wasn't expecting it at all. I kind of flip flopped back and forth between so many different things that I wanted to do, but I could never quite figure out what I wanted to do. So. You know, back in high school, that's where I really started finding the love for fitness and love for training. Back then, it was really more just about, you know, getting big and getting arms and chest and back, shit like that. Right? That's all that mattered. Um, then, in, then in my senior year, I sustained a back injury. So uh, I was squatting 
It's like 350 pounds or something like that. And I just had a bad rep and I just got, I, I, I fell down. Couldn't, uh, couldn't really get back up again. It was pretty shitty. So that was under the advisement of like some pretty bad high school coaches essentially, or like in our gym, we had a specific fitness advisor that would like, let you know, like how to do squats, how to do deadlifts, how to bench press and all the other shit that you could do. So, um, that, that was, that was pretty brutal. It took me out of commission and it ruined one of the things that I loved a lot. So I took, end up, ended up taking two years off of just working out in general. Cause I just couldn't move. I couldn't really do much without having back spasms or, or whatever the case is. So, um, eventually I did end up going back to the gym and just trying it. And it was pretty tough, but what I found was that, um, I enjoyed kind of the going through rehabilitation sort of myself and sort of figuring out, um, the ins and outs of like how I can get someone myself, um, you know, from a bad injury like that, who basically, you know, at 20 something, 21 years old or whatever I was, um, and couldn't get off the floor, uh, how they could get back to a place where they could actually work out and train. So what ended up happening was I, uh, took that two years off. I got back into it and I really enjoyed the process and it made me feel for myself, it made me feel really, um, fulfilled. And I knew that I kind of wanted to do that for other people. Right. So I was going to university at the time I was taking psychology because that was something that I was interested in. So two years into it, I'm like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> this is uh, looking down the line. It was like, man, I need to be in school for 10 years, at least around there. Right. And I was like, I just don't want to, I just want to help people now. I want to get like, I want to do, I want to find what I love now and just do it. So I dropped out and I applied to, um, it's our, like our technical school. It's called Nate Northern Alberta Institute of technology where all the trades go and stuff. Um, I applied on the last day I started class, uh, a week later and then, uh, I found my way to good life and I had a fitness manager who offered me a job, um, as a trainer while I was going to school. Nice. And so. I, I'm going to chiropractic school. So when you say that you had a back injury, I automatically wonder, like, what was your diagnosis on that? What? So what was the problem? The, the biggest, the biggest thing I think they said was just a sprained SI. I, I mean, I didn't really take it much further than that. I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn guy sometimes when it comes to the injury stuff. Like, I just sort of deal with it. That's yeah. sort of how I've. Uh, it's a terrible way to like. Don't if anyone listening, don't follow that advice. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, that's sprained SI is the best answer they could give me. Okay. That's funny. I'm going to school to give people advice and I don't even want to follow it myself. So I completely understand <laughs> who you are and where you're coming from. But so you went through this injury process and left training and then came back to it and then went to trade school. Was it for what, what was your trade school spec specific to? It was, it was for personal training. Okay. So that's sweet. Yeah, that I was like, there's this, there's. Yeah, there's this entry point into the industry. I was like, I'm going to take this. Do I need it? I don't think so. Like there's weekend courses you can take here um, that certify you. And I did end up doing that while I was going to school so that I could work as a trainer. Mm -hmm. But um, I knew that down the line, there would be something that got in the way that I would need some sort of credential um, behind my name, right? So that I, that I could bring some at least validity or, um, you know, some, something behind my name to give me credibility. Okay. And then, so you went to this trade school for personal training, got your credibility, and now you're the breathing guy. So how did you yeah. get, how'd you take that step to being like just this personal trainer guy to being the breathing guy? Yeah. So the, like the breathing stuff is funny because, you know, I've, I've kind of scoffed at it a little bit too, because it's such a, it's such a small part of what I do. Like I'm, I'm known for the breathing stuff, but it, it, really in the coaching side of things. And when I'm actually training clients, it's such a small part of actually training people. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I was, you know, going through uh, good life and sort of starting out as a trainer, they really prioritize education. And I think education is, is such a huge thing. Like you guys are in the prescript, uh, Colton, did you take prescript? No, not yet. That's something I'm looking at later in life. I'm getting my master's in human movement science right now. Yeah. Okay. You have enough things going on then. <laughs> it's a uh, lot, lot of so, plain, but definitely um, plain stuff. 
Yeah. So either way, like education is, is obviously a big part of your guys' life, right? You're in chiropractic school, Zach, uh, you're taking your master's. So um, education, I think, is something that's ex- incredibly important. And, and good life is something that just, they push you towards that. It was kind of culty because you kind of moved up the levels of trainers. And it was funny because it was kind of like pay to win in a way. Like you had to invest so much education and you got to be a more experienced trainer and charge bigger prices and all that stuff. But regardless, um, I took a course and I, um, when I was going through it, they had this one small part where they touched on breathing. And I thought it was incredibly interesting because what they talked about was things like nasal breathing and things like, you know, creating stability or like that diaphragmatic breathing that you hear so much about on the, on the, uh, on the social media. Um, and just talking about the little things that impacts daily life, um, like just general, like, like sleep, um, improving sleep, improving stress, things like that, that make such a big difference behind the scenes, not just behind the, you know, lifting weight side of things. So I got interested in it, in it from a lifestyle sort of uh, perspective. And then that kind of grew to the performance side of things too. And so, so when we're talking about breathing, oh, shoot. All right, go cold. Um, so like you see like all these fitness influencers and things like that. You've got people like down the aisle. One is like a very holistic t- style where they're like, oh, like breathing can cure blah, 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 cancer, whatever, blah, like just diaphragmatic breathing decrease stress things like that but then you have people on the other side it's like you can't breathe wrong type thing like you breathing to breathing there's no one right way to do it one wrong way to do it like where on that aisle do you fall or do you fall kind of more in the middle so most of what i talk about when it comes to breathing is based in a training setting or like a life setting so like um, I'm very aware of like my scope of practice. So, and, and I also, I'm someone who really enjoys or needs some sort of practical evidence for something to be real for myself. So um, I think that like personally, the breathing side of things is like people say, oh, you can't breathe wrong or whatever. It's like, you can't really breathe wrong. Um, I think the biggest thing that frustrates me is hearing like, diaphragmatic breathing or you need to be diaphragmatically breathing which is something i've ripped on a lot in the past but it's like it's um people have enough problems as it is so it's like when you say oh you need to be diaphragmatically breathing it implies that uh you're not doing that already and it's like if you're if you're alive you're using your diaphragm right so that frustrates me when we're creating problems that never existed in in the first place right so what they mean by that is just taking a full breath So a full inhalation, basically, to the point where your lower ribs are expanding. That's basically what they mean by a diaphragmatic breath, right? Some people have access to that. Some people don't. But that's sort of like the big stick in the mud that everyone kind of goes back to. I don't really care too much about, like, what word you use, but just understand, like, the words that you are using. Just understand what they mean or how they could be construed. So, like... I think breathing is important and I think it's some, some really low hanging fruit for a lot of people, um, especially low training ages where these people come in, they have no concept of, of how to breathe quote unquote efficiently. Um, they have no awareness around, you know, their pelvis and rib cage positioning and how to breathe, you know, in that, that quote unquote optimal position. Right. So coming at it from that perspective, they have, you know, they just don't have awareness around it. So it's just like my job is to create awareness around it to improve their life. I'm not trying to make them, you know, do whatever Wim Hof, like fire breathing or like go outside and, and do ice baths. Like, I don't really care. I care about the stuff that's going to make the biggest change or the make, the, make the biggest amount of um, difference in someone's life right off the bat. And breathing can often be that. So I come from a chiropractic office that treats a lot of general population clients. And I assume that you have seen this with a lot of clients that you have that maybe came from a chiropractor. A lot of the cues we use are diaphragmatic breathing, breathing, like breathing into your stomach. Now, do you see a lot is like, I guess when I worked as a chiropractic assistant, I saw a lot of people not be able to understand the concept of breathing into your stomach. Right. And that was kind of like one of the things we said to like activate the diaphragmatic breathing. Do you think that's one of those, um, I would say, I will all say skills that comes with understanding your positioning? Um, or is that something like 
that you can do without proper positioning that people just need to learn? I mean, it kind of goes both ways. Like no, no matter what, I think it's, it, that's an awareness that people need to have is like how their diaphragm uh, moves and how air comes into their body. Right. Because in order to have an effective brace, especially when we move into like the performance and like training side of things, like it's uh, a brace is both muscular. There's a muscular component and there's a respiratory component to, to a, to a brace. Right. So for people who are gen pop, you know, saying diaphragmatic breathing, I don't care because it does get the point across or breathing into your stomach. It gets the point across. Right. Um, I think that you can use your diaphragm no matter what in really shitty positions. So regardless of whether you're in that perfectly stacked position, it's like you can get a quote unquote full breath or diaphragmatic breath. Um, and yeah, I think it's just a matter of, of, of awareness for most people. And uh, you as the clinician or myself as a trainer, um, we're kind of the first line in there. And our job is just to create that awareness or help them bring awareness to it. So so, uh, so I'm always pretty interested in perform. No, Am I lagging? Colton's a little, you're a little laggy right now. You're I lagging just that. a little bit. Um, so you're take, good. Us you through, question. take us through like person A, person B, person A, not breathing correctly, how you would train them to breathe. Person B going through your breathing progression that you want on like a back squat. Like what differences do you see? What are you looking at? What are you looking for? How do you then cue? But Hey, this is what I want to change. Yeah. So I'll preface this by saying like that, that whole, the idea behind the diaphragmatic breath um, or like that criteria for the lower ribs um, kind of expanding outwards, uh, that can be, that can be great. And it can be a great cue for some people, but um, the rib cage is going to kind of dictate what happens um, as you inhale, right? It's kind of this two-way process where your breathing strategy will impact your rib cage and your rib cage could impact your breathing strategy. So they both kind of go hand in hand. Um, so let's start with that. So not everyone is going to need to get that uh, their lower ribs um, sort of expanded outwards or laterally expanded. Um, but for the most part, that is something that I look for. So first thing, number one, I usually get people to like lay on the ground. Um, I'm looking for a couple things because there's a couple different pillars to the breathing stuff that really matters. Um, in the course that I teach uh, for Prescript, I look at uh, the nervous system, I look at uh, breathing mechanics or biomechanics, and then I look at the physiology of the breath too. So um, the biomechanics, what we're really gonna be looking for is how that individual is breathing. So as they take in air, where exactly is their default position for creating that expansion that you need to bring air in, right? So are they breathing through their chest? Are they breathing a little bit lower into their stomach? Are they only pushing out and distending their stomach? Um, are they, um, some people like, you know, they kind of like do this paradoxical breathing where their inhale is sort of expanded and, and it, it's really weird. Um, but just generally looking at where that air is coming in and, uh, um, that takes care of like the breathing mechanics side of thing for the physiology side of thing. And this, the nervous system side, we need to look at, um, their breath in general. So I want to see if they're nasal breathing. Um, which we can talk about a little bit more in detail after this too, if you want. But um, I want to see I want to see them breathing through their nose, number one, because um, life shouldn't be hard and breathing through your nose unless you have uh, some sort of allergies or or um, uh, you know obstruction in your nose. There shouldn't really be any reason why you should be breathing through your mouth unless it's something that you just haven't thought about. Um, so I want I want to see them breathing through the nose. I want to count how long their inhales and how long their exhales are to get an idea of um, sort of how how stressed or how like how they can deal with anxiety and things like that. Um, and on top of that, that that uh, sort of number between like how many inhales and exhales you're doing per minute or per, for two minutes or whatever, um, it, it's going to tell us uh, sort of how they're able to like how they're able to handle that a buildup of carbon dioxide and, and oxygen and these levels that are constantly wavering. So that's kind of, that's kind of the process of how I take them, you know, from just coming in and just looking at uh, how they breathe in general. So I'm pretty intrigued by the nasal breathing. That's one of the things when I listen to your prescript podcast, I kind of latched onto and I find myself thinking about it a lot now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you freaking mouth breather breathe through your nose. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then I'm like, the last thing I want to be doing is, is sucking cold air into my lungs. But on top of that, let's talk about the nasal breathing. Like there's obviously so many benefits to it in terms of, I mean, just daily living and not only that, but also performance benefits. So let's jump into that. I feel like that's a huge talking point. Yeah. So, um, I think breathing in general, like if anyone, if you guys or anyone, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but, um, there's a, there's an assessment called the Owistry, um, assessment is for breathing. Um, and it kind of looks at breathing habits and, and stuff and, uh, sort of from a lifestyle perspective or like a symptom perspective. So, uh, on that sheet, breathing in general is so widespread in the things that it could affect. Um, but I think nasal breathing is the first place to start with most people. Um, so nasal breathing itself, um, like you mentioned, sort of bringing in, you know, cold or cold air or, or whatever to your lungs for the most part, like, you know, when we breathe in air, most likely everything down the line is going to, going to warm up that air before it gets to our lungs. So it shouldn't ever really affect things unless shit's real fucking cold. Uh, I can swear, right? Oh, you can swear all over the place. Okay, perfect. Um, so, so yeah, like g- generally, regardless of whether you're you're breathing through your nose, you're breathing through your mouth, like you shouldn't have crazy cold air that's going to affect things or, or or create any damage. Essentially, um, again, unless it's really cold. Like yesterday, it was minus forty five degrees Celsius uh, here, which is stupid. That's it's actually insane. That's incredible. Yeah, it's 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 awful. It's awful. Um, so for the most part. Um, that is one of the benefits though, as you breathe in through your nose, you have things like your sinuses, um, that will sort of warm and humidify or create humidity in that air, right? So it is a little bit more uh, protective to your upper airways, uh, especially when we talk about things like asthma, I'm a personal trainer, I'm not a doctor, but for a lot of people who have asthma, if you're able to create this habit around nasal breathing, um, you can reduce some inflammation. Um, simply by breathing through your nose because that air that's coming into your body uh, is getting warmer and it is like it is a little bit um, more humid too right so moist god I hate that word (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah so that's that's number one I would say just the temperature of the air Uh, number two uh, breathing through your mouth in general uh, it tends to because you're taking in so much so much air like cold dry air it tends to dry you out so you can actually um, dehydrate yourself quite easily if you're constantly breathing through your mouth, um, and that's something that people don't really don't don't really realize. And the, the effects of hydration, if we actually look at that in a performance setting, is unreal. Right? You need to be hydrated, or you're just going to crash uh, for any effort. Um, and uh, I would say the, the, another thing too that that we need to look at is um, the buildup of um, nitric oxide. So it's sort of produced in your paranasal sinuses. Um, and what it can do is it can actually, um, it can dilate the airways. Um, it can decongest you. Um, it can uh, sort of perfuse the air in your lungs a little bit more. So it has all these great benefits and that's just sort of produced through your sinuses. But um, you need to have air kind of going through there and, and um, being turbulent to the, to the sinuses in order to actually have that production happen. So it's so funny that you said nitric oxide because I feel like that's such a buzzword in uh, the oh, fitness no. industry. So all these yeah. fitness meatheads are like, oh, dude, if I just breathe through my nose, I'm going to get better pumps. Big pumps. Like that's so, going to be what it is. But obviously yeah. that's that's not the situation unless it is. You know, maybe I'll just start breathing through my nose and all I will do is get sick pumps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, I, can't, uh, I can't stamp that saying, <laughs> but I mean, I'd like to think so. So. <laughs> hey, there we go. Breathe through your nose and get sick pumps. Brandon said it yeah. here. Yep. <laughs> but so, um, obviously, from a life standpoint, nasal breathing is very important, and it can enhance you um, and just make your your life better. But as an athlete myself in weightlifting, um, obviously being under moral code as well as um, USADA code, right? You have to follow s- any sort of like performance enhancing drugs, right? So naturally, you look for everything else to enhance your performance. I just did an episode with Dr. Jackson from Prescript, and we talked about performance nutrition. So on top of that, now let's talk about for like nasal breathing for performance. Now, obviously, you want every little competitive edge. So let's talk about some benefits that you could receive 
nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. Because if anyone's like me, I mean, if you're at any sort of physical stress, you're mouth breathing. <laughs> because that's just what happens. Yeah. So speak to that for me. So yeah, for sure. So um, the first thing that we need to we need to know before we can really get into a conversation around this stuff is the um, it's called the Bohr effect. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. I think they kind of cover it in, in level one. I'm not sure. Um, but basically what that is, is that um, carbon dioxide is your primary stimulus to breathe. Okay. So in order for your body and your brain to like get the idea that it needs to release oxygen from the hemoglobin or from your red blood cells, um, there needs to be carbon dioxide present, right? So we see carbon dioxide as this shit um, kind of, you know, uh, waste product, right? Where it's an, it's a byproduct of, you know, cellular respiration and just in, in general working work, right? Work capacity and things like that. So um, the biggest thing that, you know, we need to understand is that if, as carbon dioxide rises uh, in our body, we're going to be able to release more oxygen from our red blood cells to the tissues, right? So muscles, everything else. Um, so there's, there's number one, because what we need to understand is that if you're constantly mouth breathing, right, you're taking in exorbitant amounts of air, right? Just crazy amounts of air. And that's kind of what we think that we need to be doing. And to some extent, in some performance cases, we like, we can't play a full game of hockey or a full game of volleyball or whatever the case, uh, breathing through our mouth or on our nose, right? The demand is too high and we would, performance would suffer. Um, but there needs to be some sort of alternating uh, factor there for, between nasal and mouth breathing, depending on, on the effort that you're putting in. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, what's happening like, is um, you're not really able to let any amount of carbon dioxide build up. So you're not really able to utilize um, the stores of oxygen that our body has naturally, right? You put on a um, one of those pulse oximeters and you're usually sitting around that like 96 to 99% um, oxygen saturation, right? So what we can actually do is we can, we can, by breathing through the nose, it slows down our breathing quite a bit, right? And so in order to actually get a proper breath and not feel like we're going to die, uh, we usually have to slow it down and take in uh, more concentrated, but like smaller amounts of air, right? But that, that inhalation needs to be extended for a little bit longer. Um, so what happens is we need to look at uh, sort of that balance between inhalation and exhalation, which I was talking about earlier. So if we're able to breathe through the nose um, from a performance standpoint, we're able to let carbon dioxide build up a little bit more so that oxygen can actually be shuttled to the tissues and released from hemoglobin, mm -hmm. right? That's the number one kind of case for performance side of things. Of course, that's going to change to some extent, depending on what you're doing. Like I said, where there might be cases where if you need to go all out, like breathing through your nose is only going to limit you. Um, so you, you probably need to alternate. So if you're, if you're mid shift in hockey, uh, you're probably going to need to mouth breathe just to get through the fucking shift. Mm -hmm. Right. But where nasal breathing would come into play there would be from a recovery standpoint. Interesting. So man, I, I will say recovery is such an interesting thing. It's such an important thing and not a lot of people talk about it. So I love the fact that something as simple as breathing can yeah. enhance the recovery. Now, earlier you talked a little bit about um, how you wouldn't go as far as like the necess necessity of the Wim Hof breathing technique and stuff like that. But do you see benefit within that? Now, obviously, a lot of individuals now are really pushing the cold plunge and the Wim Hof and the hot, cold um, exposure. Um, do you see, is it is it more the exposure to the elements or is it the breathing that you have to experience during the exposure to those elements? that gives you that recovery benefit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for sure. Like um, another principle that we need to know is like, you know, the fact that our heart rate is tied to our breathing, right? So as we inhale, our heart rate is going to increase as we exhale, our heart rate's going to decrease, right? So that's kind of that nervous system pillar that, pillar that I was talking about before, where if we have, um, sort of access to the breath to control our heart rate, aka, you know, sort of our nervous system and how we perceive stress and anxiety, things like that. Um, I think that's what that's kind of what the cold plunge stuff does. So I, 
there's so much out there on all of this breathing stuff. Like even just from, um, I kind of came from like the oxygen advantage, Patrick McEwen sort of, sort of camp, uh, where you try and increase levels of carbon dioxide, but they talk about so many things, regardless of who you're listening to of this, the, the many benefits of it from lymphatic drainage or anti-inflammatory or, or things like that. I have no idea whether that shit works. I have no idea whether that's, that's where the benefit comes from. But what I do know is that when you do cold, cold plunges, especially, um, essentially what you're doing is you're shocking your system, right? You're putting yourself into a sympathetic state. Um, that is pretty severe, right? If you've ever, even just going outside when it's minus 45 fucking sucks. So walking to the coffee shop, I find it hard to breathe sometimes, right? Because it's just cold. And the last thing you want to be able to do is just take that full kind of breath, right? So that's, that's where I think the cold plunge stuff, um, the importance on that stuff lies. I don't necessarily do it myself and I don't really tell other people to do it. Um, unless maybe they're really stressed or really, really anxious. But for the most part, what you're doing is you're just exposing them to a high sympathetic state and then you're getting them to control their breathing and slow it down and bring the heart rate down and tell your body that it's not in danger. Right. And I think that's something that, that, you know, in theory, I think is great because if you look, take a look at our lives nowadays, we have stress, but it's not like it used to be, you know, like we used to have to run from tigers and shit. Now we have to sit at, the, at, a, at a desk and we have to like get, you know, prepare ourselves or brace ourselves for what our boss is going to shit us shit on us for, for the day. Right. So stress is still there, but it's very different. Right. We don't have to run from tigers and then, you know, uh, go sit by the fire and enjoy our, our, our meal that we just caught. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about that stuff. So I think in general, people have a lack or a general um, lack of exposure to high sympathetic states and they don't have the tools to bring themselves out of that. So that's where I think the value in Wim Hof stuff lies is that you're able to get yourself into a sympathetic state and then you're giving yourself the tools to exhale and breathe out and just control how you're responding to that stimulus. I love that you use the analogy of running from tigers and stuff because I'm a huge proponent to say that a lot of the stress that we have nowadays is definitely like stuff we put on ourselves. Obviously, yeah. like the guy, I, I think it was obviously, honestly, from one of the prescript podcasts where they talked about it. Like the dude with negative 33 cents in his bank account isn't doesn't care about the election. He doesn't care about the protest going on. He cares about the fact that he has negative 33 cents and he has to go pay for his family to eat dinner that night, right? And so I do like the fact that you brought, you said that um, the Wim Hof breathing is definitely like an exercise um, to sharpen the tools in your tool belt to be able to handle this, that stress better with the nasal breathing. Because regardless of what's going on, it's like that stress is still there. Like I, I, we can't like, just because you're not running from tigers in modern life, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be running from tigers. In doing something life. wrong if you are. Yeah, you're doing, yeah, you're in the wrong place, but um I think regardless, it's like that stress is still stress and you feel it the same way. And I don't ever want to come across like, oh, your stress is less just because you're not running from tigers. It's like your stress is very real and it's, and it's there and you feel it. So, um, coming from that side of things, like we need to, we need to validate people and, and what they're feeling. Um, but give them again, give them the tools that they need in order to bring themselves down and, and the strategies that when shit does get stressful or you do get anxious, you can bring yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. So for that, um, I see it kind of as like your body doesn't know the stress of running from a tiger versus what your boss is going to throw at you that day. The degree of that stress is going to be different. Your body can handle that, but it doesn't realize, oh, this is tiger stress or boss stress. Um, so I think that's something that's pretty interesting with that. Um, you said earlier in the podcast, like breathing, although that's what you're known for, that's a pretty small portion of like your job or what you're doing. Like, let's get into other portions, like what you do, like what else are you passionate about either in the fitness field or not? Like what else makes up Brandon? Uh, Honestly, just training, training people in general, getting people strong. Like, I think that's the best, most rewarding part of this industry um, and, and getting people out of pain. So those are my biggest things. Um, you know, teach people how to breathe and, and cope with life. Um, I teach people how to get strong and access good positions and move really fucking well. 
because that's sick. I think being able to take someone who's never moved in their life and, and make them move like a fucking rock star. That's, that's the best part about this job. And then the look on their face when they can lift, you know, a 225 pound trap bar or, or deadlift or bench press or whatever the fuck you name it. Right. Um, that's majority of what I do. And then it's like everything else on the side um, just sort of supports that. So I come at it from a very human centered approach where I want to be able to help people in general. And the breathing stuff is, it, it kind of came about because I saw it as this, again, this low hanging fruit thing that we all breathe, whether we like it or not. I mean, you know, that, that might be a, a different conversation, but um, <laughs> whether we like it or not, we're breathing. If you're so I think um, there's help for whether, that. You know, yeah. There's, there's help, help for exactly. that. There is help for that. So um, yeah, I think it's just this low hanging fruit thing that everyone's going through. Everyone's doing it. All the cool kids are doing it, but it's like, there's, there's ways to do it differently that can support your goals. Um, so yeah, breathing stuff's cool, but uh, I use it as a way to get people stronger, to access better positions and, and things like that. So majority of my coaching is, is, is involved in just getting people out of pain and getting people stronger. Like See, that. I love that that's your take on things because that's what every clinician should have. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of clinicians with that mindset. Everyone's like, hey, if you come to me, I'm staying in business. Not, hey, let's get you moving really well. And let's graduate you from my care. And then go enjoy your life. Live it to the fullest. Yeah. Now, Kelly Sturette, he says, um, pain is um, your body asking for change to be made. Is not necessarily there's some tissue damage or whatever. Now, sometimes there is. Um, but I think breathing and like positioning is a huge part. And, and I know we, we brought up positioning in the beginning, but we didn't really talk a lot about it um, when we brought it up. So I would like if you could go into the positioning of how we should be breathing. Now, not a lot of people. I mean, if you look at, I, I say Americans, but you could say Canadians. If you look at half, maybe 75, even 80% of Canadians or Americans don't have any sort of good positioning in whatever they do whatsoever, whether that's standing, walking, looking at a computer, and especially breathing. So if you could walk us and the listeners through, like, what is this optimal position that is still something that you could do in everyday life? Yeah. So, like, here's the thing, right? You Like you said, you know, it's pretty heavy statistics, whether they're, you know, pulled out of a fact sheet or not, like, regardless, a lot of people struggle with breathing and positioning in general, right? Of like low training ages, unless you, I don't even know, like, I've had very few people come into me with just perfect ready to go squats or access to positions to squat, things like that. There's always some work beforehand. But the thing is, is that they're not dead, right? Mm -hmm they're still very much alive. So like everything could be wrong, but they're still living their life and they're still doing what they want to do. So um, that's, that's besides the point, but if, I, I feel like that's where, you know, people say, oh, you should be focusing on this, focusing on this, giving all these different tips. But it's like, you know, if, if you don't give a shit about training or you don't give a shit about breathing, then just, just carry on, do what you're doing. But when it comes to a gym setting, that's where things start to matter, right? Because I've, I've talked about, uh, how a brace in general, like your ability to stabilize your lumbar spine, um, comes from equal parts like muscular brace and, uh, respiratory brace, right? So number one, uh, to getting a good position is like that relationship between the pelvis and the rib cage, right? So we often hear about this, like stacked, stacked rib cage, stacked pelvis, um, over one another. And really all that does is it just provides a cylinder, right? A little bit more of an efficient cylinder for your diaphragm, like a plunger to kind of go down and go through its full range so you can get a full breath. Um, so when it comes to anything in the gym, um, that's like home base, like being able to be stacked and have that stacked rib cage pelvis, that's home base. That's where we want to live for a good chunk of exercises, especially when we, you know, look to actually load and like put a barbell on our back or like, you know, do deadlifts and shit where your, your low back is always going to be compromised. Um, so being able to give, being able to give the people the tools they need to actually stabilize their lumbar spine is where breathing comes into play because it's one 
you know, it's, it's half the equation. And if we just ignore it, then we're really kind of doing our clients a disservice. So when, when someone comes in to be a low training agent, they have no idea, no awareness around that stuff, regardless of what their presentation looks like, whether their rib cage is whatever, super flared. I talked about like expansion and, and stuff in different parts. Um, regardless of what they look like, they're probably going to get put on the floor because um, there's, you know, that external stability of the floor and being able to sort of have something to brace and push our low back into is going to be key just for creating that awareness, right? Once we're stacked and we're on our back, you know, maybe we put our feet up on the wall because it, it allows us to, to push our low back into the ground, get that rib cage and pelvis together a little bit better. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start the breathing side of things, right? So um, for the most part, I'm going to start uh, most people taking like a forceful exhale, right? So most people, they probably haven't sat there and gone and fully exhaled, right? When you take a forced exhale, you get the core mus musculature, your obliques, uh, your rectus abdominis, you get everything working to bring those ribs down, right? To fully exhale the air, right? Then understanding like where that feeling is and where that feeling lies and like getting people to just hold that position. That's, that's the muscular component right there. So we use the breath and we use exhalation in order to get them um, aware of the, the, the muscles that they need to be, you know, contracting or squeezing in order to get that brace going, the muscular side going, right? Once they can exhale forcibly exhale with that stacked rib cage, stacked pelvis, um, and they can hold that muscular component then we start to introduce that breath sort of behind the brace, right? So for the most part, the breath is really easy. It's just take an inhale in, right? If you're able to actually um, cinch down the waist and, you know, brace muscularly, uh, any sort of breath that you get in will most likely sort of be biased towards that full diaphragmatic range. But you see all sorts of shit of, and compensations where people just don't understand, right? So first thing you'll see is like people's like shoulders or their chest, chest rising, and they can't get their diaphragm a little bit lower, right? Um, for there, from there, it's really just a matter of like playing around and, and, um, and uh, figuring out how this person can do it. So number one is like, if we want to breathe into our stomach region, um, essentially we need to try and kind of lock down everything that isn't your stomach kind of, right? So as air comes in, it's going to go through the path of least resistance, right? And sometimes, especially when we get that, that brace in the core, that muscular brace in the core, right? That area is locked down. So we're going to breathe in through the chest a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit easier, right? So giving people sort of a cue to force their shoulders down, maybe, you know, maybe do a little bit of a crunch. And what we can do is we can lock down the upper body so that as we take that breath, breath of air in, it'll go a little bit lower and we'll be able to brace against the core musculature that we've already sort of held tense. That's usually the, the process that I go through. So some people, some people latch on really easy. Some people don't. It's funny that as you were, as you were like going through your progressions, I don't know if you saw me, like I was like trying to do everything you were talking about with like taking forcible exhales and things like that. Yeah. And the thing I notice is like, as I'm doing it, you cannot stay relaxed and breathe out forcefully at the same time. Like I've never like tried to pay attention to, like I've tried to forcibly exhale before, but never done it paying attention to what core, like, as you said, like the sides of my core obliques are coming in, tightening up. And like, I'm consistently almost getting like a hollow body. Something I never noticed as I'm getting a hollow body, you know, my pelvis is starting to move posteriorly a little bit. It's anteriorly tilted. Just, it's funny that like, there's these little idiosyncrasies that like, can control how you move, but no one pays attention to them. And it all originates from that center of your body and breathing. Yeah. And again, it's like, if you don't look at the breathing side of things, I said before, it's like, it's kind of 50% of the equation, right? Like, yeah, you can, like, you can obviously hold um, your core stiff and that's, that's great. That might work for you for a little while. Right. But when we're talking about adding some serious weight on the bar, you know, the breath, it really matters, right? Like if you're, you know, if you're, if you're using a belt or not, um, regardless, like you need to have a good awareness around um, your breath in order to get a good effective brace.
And so it's so funny. Um, unfortunately, us as people need to be told how to do basic things. Yeah. Just like as easy as it is to eat, we have to be told how to eat, when to eat, in order to, to benefit ourselves. And we always look for that information. But typically we don't ask to be taught how to breathe and why to breathe and how to breathe. Because we're like, we just do it all the time. So it's one thing that we just never think about. So when teaching somebody, what are some, I guess I would say exercises or things to think about on your own that you can do maybe outside of the gym, driving in your car, on your way to the gym, to work, you name it, that can help you um, solidify these positions, these actions, and this ability to do this nasal breathing. So when you're in these positions of like, when you're compromised, say you're working out at your training, you're in a competition, um, that you don't um, sacrifice any of the potential benefits of recovery yeah. or performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, so fr- from a, again, because we can break it apart into a couple different couple different aspects, um, from like a nervous system perspective and a physiological perspective, I think as long as you're not eating or talking, you should probably be breathing through your nose. Right. So for people listening, I mean, self-awareness is a, is a tough thing. And I, I mean, obviously people need more self-awareness, but it kind of falls on deaf ears to some extent, like, Oh, just pay attention to your breathing. Um, so, I mean, finding actionable things that you can do obviously are, are going to help you sort of create that habit long-term so that when you do get into the gym, it's a little bit easier, right? Things obviously change, like being at rest and being in the gym, two different situations. Um, but I would say just the awareness around nasal breathing, whether you have to set reminders or not, um, just pay attention to, to where you're breathing. And, and when you are breathing, it's like, um, are you, you know, taking quick, really short inhales and exhales? Um, or are you actually like getting a breath in and then exhaling out, um, pacing the breath and like understanding, like if you're going to breathe through your nose, it's like, if you're still hyperventilating, it's it's still going to be a problem. Um, so creating that awareness around how you feel and um, and just just thinking about it, setting reminders on your phone, things like that. Um, because no, regardless of whether you're breathing through your nose or not, you can still breathe like shit. So pay attention to how you feel. And if you feel like, oh, I'm a little bit more anxious right now, um, literally just slow it down, breathe through your nose, slow it down, uh, especially with the focus on the exhale. So exhale a, lo- a little bit longer or exact or at, at the worst case, exhale the same amount that you're inhaling mm-hmm. at the very worst. Um, as far as like when you're driving or just like sitting at a desk or whatever the case is, it's like you can pretty easily focus on the pacing, pacing of the breath. So like I said, with the inhale and exhale, but you can really easily focus on getting that rib cage stacked and uh, being able to take that, you know, full range breath or full diaphragmatic breath if we're using it in that word in that term um that's going to be practice but of course like um that might make a difference in their in their personal lives but when it comes to the gym i think that it needs to be trained and it needs to be um it needs to be yeah it needs to be trained just like anything else you need to add resistance to it you need to add loads anteriorly or posteriorly or whatever the case is um you need to add challenges to different positions Um, so it's like, do the stuff to make you feel good on a daily basis, um, to generally, you know, handle stress, handle anxiety, things like that. Um, but in the gym, we need to be able to find that stacked position and then find ways to challenge it. So with breathing, you mentioned like training it and things like that. So let's just say you, you do this, uh, split stretch or or the splits every day, the more you do the splits, the more you go to train, you're pushing that boundary straight stretching those muscles obviously you can't really like stretch your lungs to increase capacity but can you increase the amount of lung that you use through like practicing your breathing or in like large increases large or inhales exhales does that make sense like can you increase the amount of lung that you use because most people when they breathe they're not using 100 percent of their lung yeah to like to some to some extent right like um I think as long as you're taking a full inhale, um, you're probably going to get all that you can out of that breath. Um, and I don't even look at it from like a lung volume perspective necessarily, but going back to carbon dioxide, I look at it from a, uh, how long can you 
you know, how long, how long can you sit with that elevated level of carbon dioxide in your system? Right. So being able to increase levels of carbon dioxide are going to do um, a couple of things. I mean, from a health, health, health side of things, like um, obviously, again, you can utilize the, the oxygen levels that you have just sort of at rest um, or in a performance setting. Um, it can also um, being able to, to sit with CO2 or higher CO2 levels. Um, it can have great impacts on your blood pressure as well. And things like that. Like it is a vasodilator carbon dioxide is. So again, going to that whole waste product, um, it's more of a byproduct. It's just a part of process, part of the processes in your body. So it's like being able to understand that, you know, you don't necessarily need more air, right? That's what I want to get at with that whole mouth breathing, nasal breathing, CO2 oxygen balance there, right? Is that the, the answer necessarily isn't the amount of air that you're taking in, Although, unless again, you're breathing like super shallow, then you need to take in more air. But for the most part, if you're taking that full inhale, it's not really a matter of getting more air in. It's about being more efficient with that breath. So again, letting um, your breath slow down a little bit to the point where you can let CO2 levels rise just a little bit more so that um, as air comes in, you're using more of that air, right? You can't go more than 100%, right? So it's like, taking in more air isn't really going to do anything for you. So being able to just actually use the reserves that you have uh, and sit with that high CO2, that will be where sort of the magic happens and how you feel, um, uh, whether you feel like you need more air or not. That's interesting to me. So um, this is just like a quick little question. Um, say you're somebody, you're in a pool, you're a kid and you're like, you know what? Let's do a breathing contest. I'm going to take this big old breath in and then we're going to go underwater. How much benefit does that large inhale actually have on being able to hold your breath underwater for a long time or even outside of water? Yeah. So, um, to some extent it'll, it'll help to some extent. Right. But the biggest thing like, you know, holding your breath or, or, um, or whatnot is again, back to that CO2, where if CO2 is the number one thing that's um, telling your body to, to, uh, to breathe. Um, because again, as CO2, like CO2, so CO2 is like a double edged sword. So increased levels of CO2, if you're not ready for it, it can cause anxiety, can cause panic and it can tell your body that, Oh, you need to go like survive here. Right. But if you can use that and you can get comfortable with it, high CO2 is actually going to be really good for you because it can release that oxygen from the cells um, for the red blood cells. But um, it's actually something that's that you can do in Wim Hof and what people will do in swimming competitions occasionally is they'll uh, tend to hyperventilate. So what they do is the in order to hold your breath longer um, is essentially take in really fast inhales and exhales. And uh, essentially the goal is just to get rid of as much CO2 as you possibly can, right? And then go under the water. And then since CO2 levels are so low, right? Your brain doesn't get the signal to breathe. It's like, oh, you don't need oxygen. You don't need to take in more air because there's no CO2. There's no, there's no warning signal here telling our body that it needs to breathe, right? So swimmers can hyperventilate and then essentially what happens is again, you get rid of CO2, you can go underwater and you can stay there for sometimes, you know, two minutes, three minutes. That's something that Wim Hof does too. He'll, he'll do this sort of breathing strategy. Um, and then uh, you're essentially hyperventilate for a little bit. And then your last breath, you take a full long drawn out exhale, and then you close your mouth and you can end up holding your breath for again, that two to three minutes plus, right? The danger there is, again, you can pass out because if your body's not using using oxygen and you're underwater, I mean, water can be deadly. But um, yeah, that's a, it's, it's kind of interesting just, just how much that can impact the, your brain's perception of, of um, yeah, that oxygen and, and whether you need air or not. It's funny because I've, I've watched a documentary so, over like free diving and that was exactly what they were doing. It was like not the exact Wim Hof breathing, but quick inhales trying to breathe. And then the girl actually passed out right before she did it. And then she had to like take a break and go back into it. Because I think too, like yeah. Wim Hof, like if you do their app or whatever you do, it's like 
disclaimer, do this with other people around, like do not do it near water, things like that. Cause you'd like the odds of you passing out are pretty high. Yeah. Don't do it on a forklift. Don't do it while, you know, a pallet is 10, 10 feet above your face, you know, things like that. Right. It's just common sense people. Come on. Yeah. I mean, you would think you would you, think you would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, but some people don't and that's why we have to, right? Yeah. But I think, um, a lot of the things, I mean, obviously this question, obviously if you have it anecdotally and or research study wise, doesn't matter. I think both hold a lot of validity, but in terms of breathing, do you see obviously other than general physiology and feeling better, do you see any sort of cognitive benefit from breathing, um, nasally nasal versus, um, through your mouth? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think again, like, I think regardless of whether it's subjective or objective is kind of like a mood point, right? Like whether you feel better or not is subjective, like 100% subjective. Like you could, again, have the best sleep of your life, but if you feel like dog shit, you're going to feel like dog shit. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that from my experience and from my client's experience, if you can breathe through your mouth or, um, if you can breathe through your nose. Um, as often as you possibly can, it makes a big difference um, from a cognitive perspective. Tiredness is one of those insidious things where if you feel tired, it doesn't really matter what sort of positive benefits you're going to get from any other thing that you do. Like it's, it's still going to suck. Your life still is kind of, it kind of blows when you're tired. Right. Um, So uh, something that, you know, some people might not agree with, or some people really agree with is even going to the point of taping your mouth overnight. Right. Cause that's for myself, it's anywhere from five to eight or seven and a half, seven and a half hours where if you are breathing through your mouth, um, again, you're not able to actually, um, number one, you're not able to, to let sort of CO2 levels rise. You're just sort of taking in oxygen as much as you can. And when you actually hyperventilate like that and you end up taking in more oxygen and not letting CO2 rise, you can actually cut off um, some blood flow to the brain to some extent. Um, there's some figures and some studies like listed and they can say anywhere from like 30%, um, of oxygenation you can cut off to your brain. Again, I have no idea. I'm not a research dude, but, um, I think that makes, that makes a big difference. Um, I remember the first time I tried it because I thought it was so fucking ridiculous. Uh, again, from that course, they talked about taping, taping their mouth. So I wanted to try it because, um, again, I thought it was so dumb and there's no way that it can make a difference in my life. So tape my mouth, um, day one, I had to like, you know, take it off. Uh, I slept okay for the most part, but I had to take it off in the middle of the night. I couldn't sustain it. I also have, I've, I've had bad allergies for a long time. Um, so breathing in through my nose has been difficult regardless. Um, second night, uh, I lasted a little bit longer, still had to take the, the mouth tape off day three. I was able to sleep um, the entire night through uh, with my mouth taped and it was the most refreshed, the best cognitive feeling day that I've had in my entire life. I feel like it's a pretty big statement, but um, I think if you know, you're used to a level of breathing through your mouth to the point where you're constantly choking off oxygen to your body. Um, and again, just in general, breathing through your mouth can be a little bit more sympathetic because what happens when, you know, what happens when we breathe through our mouth, it's usually when we're running from tigers or listening to our boss shit on us. So, um, things like that, like if you're doing that for such a large chunk of your life, I think that there's, you know, tremendous benefit if you can make some sort of difference in that regard. I feel like I have a whole new perspective on breathing now. I feel like I I had an understanding of it, but now I feel like I have a whole new perspective of it. Yeah. I love that. I I definitely think that this is an episode that a lot of people are going to probably find a lot of benefit from just because it's not something that's talked about too often. And it's something that probably should be talked about a little bit more often. And that's what I was talking about with the low hanging fruit stuff, right? Like I'm in the business of helping normal people get strong, get fit. Um, and whatever the case is like, you know, I've worked with some athletes like here and there. Um, but primarily it's like the people who, you know, 
like daily life affects them like shit like that um if i can if i can find that just that little thing that makes such a big difference um from such a small little habit that i can implement in their life then i'm all for it that's that's what i want to do i want to be able to help people feel better um and you know just from a from a, a a personal trainer or clinician side of side of things it's like if you can give people that little thing that makes a big difference like number one that client's going to be sticking around forever right um they're going to want to if you can give them the habits to sleep better to manage their stress um when things arise like they're still going to come to their session because at the end of the day you need consistency and you need people to be in front of you you need to be training them you need to be like letting them get their workouts in in order to see progress and it's the progress uh they see that's going to make a, a big difference in their life and uh, for yourself as a coach, it's like, that's, that's what keeps the people coming back. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, man, we really appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys inviting me out here and, uh, finally, finally getting this done. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate almost even more the fact that we were able to have a glass of whiskey on the podcast together. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it brings people together for sure. It does. Yeah. I saw you, I saw you open up that bottle to pour your second glass and I was like, this man meets business. Maybe we could go for four hours, five hours. Let's see. <laughs> let's see where we go. You know, maybe we stop talking about breathing and talk about something different. <laughs> oh yeah, I could go. I could go forever as long as you got you know whiskey and good good people here. I, I could I could talk for hours. Hey, well, we'll if we're in if we're in Canada, I'll bring up a bottle of Eagle Ware if I can get across the border and some cigars. We'll meet up and we'll have a grand old time. <laughs> I do. I've got some Eagle Rare, but it's running low because I've been hesitant to to drink the last bit of it. But yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure something out. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, hey, again, I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for educating us and educating the people that will be listening to this next week. This has been the Pre Professional Podcast. Thanks for listening.